I have something to say to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Thank you. I suppose that part of the value of bringing in guest clergy to preach in a chapel where a significant part of the congregation is preparing for ordination is for the guest to share some of his wisdom derived from years of preaching. But when I looked in my files, the last time I preached on these scripture passages was 15 years ago. And I found that even back then, I had latched onto the value of swerving to the Old Testament when the gospel is difficult. So this is the first lesson I would give you, although given the esteem with which I hold Wycliffe, I do not think it likely to be a new lesson. The gospel is contained in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is certainly worth homiletical attention. But my second lesson is, don't wait until the gospel is a difficult one to turn to the Old Testament. <laughs> Preach on and meditate on the Old Testament a lot, and you and your people will be the better for it. For my third lesson is this, don't shy away from hard passages. I've been a priest for a long time. I have grandchildren. I have buried my wife. I've done a lot of living. And yet this, I think, is the first time I've ever preached on Mark 13. Please learn from me as one of those negative examples. <laughs> Don't put off the hard stuff. Preach on the nasty Psalms. Preach on Job, preach on Ecclesiastes, and preach on Mark 13. It is hard to discern the narrative logic of the passage appointed, and in a sense, I'm going to say that is the point. In verse 24, where we picked up, Jesus speaks of those days when there are signs, darkening signs, in the heavenly bodies. In verse 26, Jesus says, they, presumably everyone alive at that time, will see the Son of Man who is to come in visible glory. The elect are then to be gathered from all over. Then Jesus switches to give a pedagogical example. The fig tree gives signs that summer is near. So these signs, I guess he means the previously mentioned tribulation and the heavenly signs, but perhaps also the visible and glorious coming of the Son of Man and the gathering of the elect, these signs are indications that he, the Son of Man, is near, at the very gates. One wants to say, no kidding. The stars are falling from the sky, and possibly the Son of Man has been seen by everyone, and Jesus says, don't miss the sign. Don't miss it. Seems no one could miss it. Then Jesus says, this generation will not pass away before all these things take place. And one wants to say, about 60 to 80 generations, depending on how long you take a generation to be, about 60 to 80 generations have already passed away. 20 centuries worth of folks have died. They're gone. And all these things have not taken place. The Son of Man has not returned in visible glory, 
not to mention that the stars are still in the sky. And then, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away, which is certainly true. And what a great relief it is to the, to the reader. Here at last is something I can thrill to. Jesus' words have more endurance than anything in the created universe. Or better, I may not know what it means for Jesus' words to endure, but I do know it is really comforting to know that his words are going to outlast anything else that I might care to imagine. Even, that is, to make it concrete. If there came to be a day when all of Mozart's symphonies were lost and destroyed, and we had no cultural residue from them, even if the magic flute, one of the most lovely operas ever, even if it were completely forgotten and irrecoverably erased from all our memories, even in that unbelievable cultural catastrophe, still Jesus' words would be there. But of course, among Jesus' words are these particular words in Mark 13, which unfortunately don't seem all that clear. So we go on at verse 32. Jesus says that only the Father knows that day and that hour, seemingly undermining his claim in verse 30 that this generation would not pass away before that day and hour. If he doesn't know that day and hour, how does he know it will come before this generation passes away? And anyhow, how could the Son not know the Father's mind? St. John tells us that the Father has shared everything with the Son, and it is hard to imagine a credible Trinitarian theology that would put a distance between the two of them. Verse 33 has a command. It's the second command of this passage. The first was to learn from the fig tree. Here we are instructed to take heed and watch, in an older translation, stay awake. The reason for watching is that we do not know when the time will come. Jesus gives another helpful illustration. A man goes away, and we who have been left in charge need to be awake whenever it is that he might return. In verse 37, the command is repeated as a one-word summary of the entire passage. Stay awake. Watch. It is, Jesus says, a universal command, an instruction he would lay upon every human being. Watch. what to do. We could follow, for instance, Robert Gundry, who notes that in many ways our text emphasizes the reliability of Jesus, particularly as one who speaks of the future. Jesus foretold his passion, and indeed it happened. The opening words of our reading tonight, with reference to astronomical phenomena, Reveal, he says, Jesus' knowledge of God's timetable of the final details. The fig tree verses are an assurance that the Son of Man will come that strengthens our appreciation for the predictive ability of Jesus. For Gundry, 
the claim that this generation will not pass away before these things is an intensification of the emphasis on nearness, which then yields to a final accent that falls on certainty. Jesus' words will not pass away. Gundry takes Jesus' words to be his foregoing prediction of all these things, which adds even more to Mark's emphasis on Jesus' predictive power. The reason, then, that only the Father knows when the end will come is because the Father has cut off the foregoing days of unprecedented tribulation and has not revealed how many of them he has cut off. A reference to Mark 13, 20, and if the Lord had not shortened the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. All this is, we could say, helpful, even if we remain uncertain about some of the details. Which means we can find, if we work at it, something of a logic to this passage. Mark does indeed seem to be showing us that Jesus is a trustworthy speaker who knows his Father's plans and even knows that the Father intends to cut short the final catastrophe out of mercy, albeit Jesus does not know when that will be. It could be very interesting to have a seminar with the great minds gathered in this room. We might well come up with an even better account of what Jesus' words in this chapter mean and how they fit together. And I hope that you do have such conversations among yourselves and that you do so often and that you strive to be as honest and rigorous as you can be in understanding the text. But at the end of all our conversations, I think we will still have to say that this remains a hard text, that it slips through any human fingers that would strive to shape it into something intelligible, something wholly intelligible. In this regard, the hard passages of the Bible show us something that is true of every passage in the Bible. We just don't notice it when the passages are easy. God never allows his word to become simply our word. There is an irreducible otherness to God's word. There is always something about it that is alien something even ugly, but at least beyond us and beyond our comprehension. St. Paul was getting at this when he spoke of foolishness. And that is why there is no better last word for a difficult passage of Scripture than the word watch. We must watch. Because God's word is alien. We don't know completely or altogether what to expect. We have to watch. For what? 
for signs. Jesus in Mark 13 says that the signs will be clear in a sense, as a tree can tell you when the seasons are going to change if you know what to look for. Elsewhere, however, the admonition to watch is given because of a lack of clarity, because of what we might call epistemic inadequacy. Grandfather, what big words you use. <laughs> the human mind, the, I'm sorry, the human, epistemic inadequacy, even here. The human being just doesn't know the hour, and it will come suddenly, like a thief in the night. And so one must be prepared, must be watching. So we might be looking for something that's clear, and yet we might not know what we're looking for. Let's take a step back. To watch pertains to one's temporal location in salvation history. It means to be conscious of the framework understanding that faith gives to human life, the truthful meta-narrative that we live between the ascension of Christ and his return, that the world as we know it is destined for transformation when he does return, bringing down heaven with him to earth, providing decisive judgment, which will then reveal the meaning of human history, banishing to nothingness all evil and elevating to glory all good. To watch is to be conscious of that and to pray and to seek to do works of love. But it is not to understand. From the beginning of all things, God has desired to be part of his creation. He gave signs. He spoke. He walked alongside. When the time was fulfilled, he entered decisively into the world he had made, the Father commanding his obedient word to assume a created, namely human, nature. The good news of that incarnate word has been spoken to us who live in the midst of so much that is wrong, so much that deals death. The Word himself has planted his Spirit in our hearts, and with the Spirit, the hope of the Word's return. It is not easy to live in a world that has a Creator who is not content to leave it alone, but wants to enter in. Yet he does, and he will send again his incarnate word, whose coming will be the final interruption of sin and wickedness, even such sin and wickedness as perdure in our heart. To watch most concretely means to return every day to the difficult word who has interrupted our lives by his coming among us and to long for his return.